0: Hello, friends. Today we are going to discuss another past paper. Uh, this is the October 2017 MRCP Part 2 test paper, and we just discuss a few questions from this past paper. Okay. So, the first question is about treatment of angina. So, what they've asked you is that there's a 60 year old male who's a reformed smoker and who has angina type of chest pain when he's walking up a steep hill. Other than that, his blood pressure is okay, his pulse is okay. So they're asking you which of the following is the best initial treatment for is angina. Is it amlotepine? is it bisoprolol, is it a nitrate or is it nicorandil? So the answer here is a beta blocker because according to NICE guidelines, uh, even in patients who have a stable COPD that is a chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, you still give bisoprolol or any other cardio beta blocker like metaprolol, carvedilol as the first line treatment for stable angina. Nitrates are second line treatment because they do not have any mortality benefits. Calcium channel blockers are also second line uh, uh, treatments for angina but not amlodipine because that is a vasodilator. The calcium channel blockers that will help in that, with angina are verapamil and diltiazem. So the next question is basically about the treatment of subacute thyroiditis now the important thing in this question is that you should be able to arrive at the diagnosis of subacute thyroiditis remember of all the hyperthyroid conditions the only painful one is a subacute thyroiditis so let's review this question so it's a 42 year old female who had a flu like illness with palpitations or tremors sweating and there is pain in her anterior neck and she has also lost 3 kgs of weight when You examine her, you note that there is a diffusely tender thyroid gland, that means this is a subacute thyroiditis. And I we don't even need to look at the thyroid uptake scan, which would show a decreased uptake. So, what they want to know is what is the treatment of choice for subacute thyroiditis? The answer is it is supportive and with non steroidal anti inflammatory drugs like naproxen. You do not give anti thyroid drugs, you do not give radioactive iodine, unlike grave disease, you give. Uh, painkillers or non steroidal anti-inflammatories okay moving on so the next question is about the management of obst- obstructive sleep apnea so what they want to know is that how would you manage a 56 year old uh, man whose BMI is 35 and his Epsworth sleepiness score is uh, 20 and he also has a history where his wife tells you that he snores very loudly and he is also giving a history where he has to drink up to four energy drinks per day just to stay awake and also is considering taking uh, caffeine tablets so how would you what is the most appropriate m- m- intervention for this patient is it uh, uh, modafinil is it uh, uvulopalatopharyngoplasty? is it a nasal cpap or is it weight reduction gradual weight reduction so the most important thing here is because he has symptomatic uh, uh, obstructive sleep apnea with the EPSVAL score that is low the patient is at a significant risk of uh, get, uh, having uh, attacks of narcolepsy especially considering his profession which is he, that he is a cab driver so the first line treatment here would be a nasal CPAP okay a gradual weight reduction is also an important treatment in the long term but that will not affect his uh, current status. So they're asking you what is the most appropriate intervention for him at this point. uvulopalatopharyngoplasty is a surgery which is reserved for patients who fail CPAP or who are unable to use it because they are not able to tolerate it because of con- uh, conditions like claustrophobia. Modafenil will positively uh, impact his daytime sleepiness but it will not uh, help the underlying uh, obstructive sleep apnea. This is a question about ethics and I think you should just know the answer to this question without using uh, or searching for the answer and how to go about it. So basically there's a 80 year old man who has suffered a collapse at home and uh, followed by a seizure. When he was brought to the emergency department his pulse was... 45, his blood pressure was 200 over 120 and a CT showed massive intracerebral hemorrhage. So he is not deemed suitable for surgical intervention by the neurosurgeons. You plan to discuss the resuscitation status with his wife, which of the following is the most appropriate approach with respect to his status? So the options we might get confused in is that should his wife decide on resuscitation or can you as the emergency physician decide on resuscitation? Obviously. You can decide on the need or the need for initiating or sustaining further resuscitation in a patient whose, probably, whose outcome is probably very poor. You cannot ask the wife in an emergency situation to decide whether she wants resuscitation to continue or not. You as a physician can decide when to stop resuscitation and then can go counsel the wife. Okay, so moving on. This is a question that they frequently asked and you should know the answer to this and it is about a very commonly tested topic of polycystic ovarian disease so basically there's a young female with irregular periods and who has facial acne and her BMI is 38 her fasting glucose is elevated and her testosterone is elevated so she, she has polycystic ovarian syndrome what they want to know is which of the following is the most appropriate intervention to treat her symptoms is it a combined OCP? is it metformin? is it Lyragrutide? so the answer here is liraglutide. So the answer is lyra gl- glutide. This question is about a 30 year old woman who has abdominal swelling and tiredness. She was previously fit and on no medication. She is found to be pale and covered in bruises. There is massive splenomegaly. So when you did routine investigations, you found that her white cell count is very very high. It is 256 into 10 to power 9. The normal range is 11 into 10 to power 9. And when you did a blood film, you found a gross left shift, promyelocytes, myelocytes, metamyelocytes, band forms, and basophilia. The cytogenics, they were virtually diagnostic because it showed tra- transformation of 922, which means this patient has CML, and she's probably in blast crisis. So what they want to know is which of the following is the most appropriate treatment over the next few months? The answer here is giving her imatinib. Uh, next question. So this is a question about management of heart failure. Uh, Basically a 72 year old man who has come to you uh, with the complaints of not being able to walk uh, 200 meters and uh, there's uh, dyspnea on exertion basically and his current medications are Ramipril, Bisoprolol, Spironolactone and Furosemide His blood pressure is normal, his pulse is normal uh, His uh, respiratory examination shows bilateral crepitations uh, consistent with pulmonary edema and his ECG shows a left bundle branch block. When you do all his investigations, you find out that his ejection fraction is only 30%. So what they want to know is this patient who has chronic congestive heart failure, which is not being uh, managed on a beta blocker, on uh, spironolactone, on a diuretic, and also on an ACE inhibitor, which is the next uh, drug that you can add. So the confusion here can be between Three things. I think the first one would be changing ramipril to valsartan sacubitril. Second thing would be adding Ivabradin and third thing would be adding a valsartan. Okay, we would not add valsartan because this patient is already on ramipril, and studies have shown that there is no use of combining an ACE inhibitor and an ARB. Okay, you can change this patient from ramipril to a newer combination drug of valsartan sacubitril, but. Uh, this is also not uh, preferred over adding ivabradin. Ivabradin has been shown to have mortality benefits in patients with class 2 to 4 uh, heart failure with systolic dysfunction who are in sinus rhythm and who are not at a significant risk of bradycardia. Uh, so, the answer here is adding ivabradin. And if ivabradin doesn't work, then you can change uh, the ramipril to Valsartan's acubit. Okay, moving on. So this is again uh, something that you should just remember. And when you investigated him, you find out that he has uh, liver meds. And these are three solitary liver meds with surrounding swelling. So how would you manage these liver meds? The answer here, I will tell you the answer because there's no point in knowing the other options. The answer here is you embolize these uh, liver meds with a cytotoxic chemotherapy you cannot surgically resect these because it is multiple mets you can surgically resect isolated liver mets uh, can you give somatostatin analogs somatostatin analogs would be only for symptomatic control but they will not do much for patients who have multiple liver mets so the answer here is you embolize these liver mets okay so the next question is asking you treatment of uh, rosacea. so basically rosaceae is uh, that clinical syndrome where you get recurrent erythematous rash on your face uh, with facial flushing especially associated with exposure to sunlight and after drinking alcohol and later it can turn, turn into papules and nodules. So what is the treatment, first line treatment of uh, uh, roseshi in a 45 year old male? So the answer is sunblock. You avoid the sun and you can treat uh, uh, rosacea you can also add a metronidazole gel on top of the sunblock but the first line treatment is a sunblock okay moving on Uh, this is a question where there's a 62 year old smoker with diabetes and who has come with a central crushing chest pain radiating to his left arm so basically he has an acute coronary syndrome you find that clinically his blood pressure is low and his pulse is also low it is 40 his JVP is elevated and he has bilateral crackles and auscultation his ECG shows ST elevation in the inferior leads that is the 2-3 ABF leads so you give him atropin and his pulse doesn't improve so what do you do next so the option you might get confused in is do we transcutaneously pace him or do we proceed directly to the cath lab so this patient if his blood pressure was stable, and uh, then we could just take him to the cath lab and uh, do a primary PCI. But since his blood pressure is low, his heart rate is also low, despite giving atropin, the next best approach in the emergency department would be transcutaneous pacing, and then you can shift him to the cardiac cath lab. Moving on. So, this is a question about a 34 year old male who has come with sudden onset central crushing chest pain radiating to his back. Okay, so this is also something that you can know uh, and uh, base your diagnosis in these types of questions on so what are the various types of chest pain characteristics which help you identify uh, various diagnoses? so a chest pain which is uh, central retrosternal radiating to the jaw or the left arm and associated with sympathetic activation is probably a cardiac chest pain or probably a chest pain of an acute coronary syndrome a severe sudden onset chest pain that is radiating to the back is most likely a chest pain of uh, aortic dissection okay so in this question they're talking most likely about aortic dissection with this one line which says there's a male who has a history of sudden onset chest pain radiating to his back so this pain began suddenly while he was helping a friend move his house and he has no past medical history he's a non-smoker but he is tall and plays basketball for a local team so that is another hint that he may have marfanoid habitus and he may be at risk for an aortic dissection so when you do a chest x-ray you find that there is no evidence of any cardiac failure and his 12 lead okay so this is the interesting part in this question his 12 lead ecg is showing st elevation changes in the inferior leads the two three AVF leads so what they're asking is which of the following is the most appropriate next step do you refer him from for a pci or do you do a thoracic ct angiogram the answer here is you do a thoracic ct angiogram because firstly this is a 34 year old male with no real risk factors for having an acute coronary syndrome the second thing is he has typical clinical features of a Acute onset aortic dissection, probably a type A aortic dissection, which is causing lack of uh, blood flow in the coronary arteries also because of decreased may perfusion and that may be causing the ECE changes. So the answer here is you investigate him for an acute aortic dissection and if it is a type A aortic dissection, he needs to undergo surgery. So this is a question about treatment of osteoporosis. So basically, how do you treat osteoporosis? Osteoporosis is a T-score on a DEXA scan of less than 2.5. Okay, so you treat osteoporosis, first-line treatment is always, always your bisphosphonates. But sometimes the patients can't tolerate bisphosphonates because of uh, the various risk, uh, various adverse effects like your severe esophagitis, jaw osteonecrosis. So what is the second-line treatment? So this question basically wants to know the second-line treatment of uh, osteoporosis. So this is about a 60-year-old female with a T-score of minus 3.7 and failed to tolerate uh, bisphosphonate. So what do you do now? So now you give her uh, denosumab. Denosumab is a rank-ligand inhibitor. So what does a rank-ligand inhibitor do? It will block the activation of osteoclast because the rank-ligand is Involved in activation of osteoplasts. So, denosumab is given as a subcute injection once every six months. So, this is the second line treatment. So, if, what if this fails? So, the other third line treatments include your strontium, your teriparatide, and your riloxifen. But the first line is bisphosphonate, second line is donosumab, which is a rank ligand inhibitor. Okay, so next question so this is also an interesting question because not many people know the answer to it because we uh, don't usually see these uh, situations clinically so basically they're asking you treatments of graves of thalmopathy okay so this is a patient who is a 50 year old female with a history of graves disease and she was on a broccoli block replace regime and now she has come with worsening blurring of vision and loss of color vision so there was proptosis and her GP started her on high dose steroids but that didn't help. So what is the next uh, best line of management? So the answer for this is giving her Rituximab. Rituximab is an anti-CD20 antibody. Then the third line uh, treatment for this would be a orbital decompression surgery. Okay. So the say, first line is steroids which the GP already tried, the second line is rituximab and the third line is surgical decompression. Okay. So, moving on, so there's this is a question about treatment of uh, uh, end stage cardiac failure. Okay. But this is an interesting question because this question involves having a moral uh, choice about treatment and that's what they want to know from you. So what they're asking is, there's an 80-year-old man with end-stage cardiac failure, and he's on all the drugs like ramipril, bisoprolol, furosemide, spironolactone. He even has a dual-chamber pacemaker. He has come to you with excessive shortness of breath at night, and he can only walk a few meters on the flat surface. His potassium is high, his creatinine is high, and his transesophageal echo shows that his left ventricular ejection fraction is only 20%. So what is the next most appropriate steps? i lead out the uh, options because uh, we'll rule them out one by one. So is it add digoxin? You cannot add digoxin because his creatinine is high, it will be very difficult to digitalize him with a, an elevated creatinine. Do you add Valsartan? Well, he's already on ramipril, so there's no point in adding Valsartan. Do you increase his furosemide? Increasing his furosemide would not much help him because he's probably on already on a maximum ferrosamide. do you give him oxycontin this is the answer here because this patient who has end stage low cardiac output failure with significant renal impairment and uh, nyha class 3-4 symptoms so the best therapy for such a patient would be to reduce the anxiety and the distress associated with this condition and uh, improve his quality of life at this end stage so the answer here is oxycontin okay so this is another interesting question not very commonly asked but uh, let's just remember the answer so basically there's a 72 year old male with copd and he has recurrent exacerbations uh, to be precise three over the last six months and his fev one during this exacerbation is only 45 percent predicted so which of the following is the next most important intervention? He's already on high dose salmatrol and fluticasone inhalers. Okay. So the options here are, can you give him uh, montilocast? No, that is usually reserved for asthma patients, not COPD patients. Do you give him omalizumab? That is also reserved for asthma patients with high serum IgE level. Do you give him rituximab? Rituximab has no role in management of COPD. So the answer here is you can give him something called... Roflumilast. So roflumilast is a PDE4, phosphodiesterase uh, for inhibitor, and according to some nice guidelines, it can be used as an add-on to the bronchodilator therapy for patients with severe COPD. Okay, so the answer here is roflumilast, which is a PDE4 inhibitor. Okay, so this is also an interesting question, and this is about treatment of a very commonly encountered condition and very commonly asked question. So basically there's a 70 year old man with idiopathic Parkinson's and who's already on maximum dose of liver dopa. But what is happening is that he's experiencing wearing off episodes just 90 minutes after taking the last dose of his levodopa So what can you do now? What drug can you wear now? So basically what they're trying to ask you is that He's on the correct treatment, but the levodopa is doses that is being delivered to his brain is not sufficient enough. So what do you do? So you add something called entacapone or tolcapone. So what are these? These are the COMT inhibitors, which reduce the breakdown of levodopa, and they can prolong its actions. Okay. So the answer here is you add entacopone. When will you add amantadine? So amantadine is. Uh, used for the treatment of dyskinesias in end-stage parkinson's disease other than that it has no clear rules okay so moving on okay, so this is also an important question and sometimes people get confused in this because the management for a similar condition has a different answer so let's just read this out oh, 25 year old woman has collapsed after getting out of the local swimming pool so, this is probably a cardiac condition so daily dcg is showing a prolonged qt what they want to know is how would you manage this patient initially now the options in which people get confused are do you give this patient a beta blocker or do you go for an implantable cardioverter defibrillator so the first line treatment for long qt syndrome is oral beta blockers and if these fail then you can insert an ICD. Whereas, if a patient who has Brugada syndrome and has presented with a collapse, there is not much efficacy of giving beta blockers. The first line treatment there in Brugada syndrome is uh, Implantable Cardioverter Defibrillator. Okay, so this is also an interesting question and we can finish a small topic based on this question. So basically what they are asking you is, treatment of nephrogenic diabetes insipidus I'll just read out the question so there's a 32 year old female who is on lithium therapy for bipolar disorder and we all know lithium causes uh, nephrogenic diabetes insipidus and now she has come with polyuria polydipsia when you uh, do her routine investigations you find out that her urine osmolality is low even after fluid deprivation and even after giving her uh, desmopressin. That means she has diabetes incipitus because her urine osmolality is low after fluid deprivation and we na- know that she has nephrogenic diabetes incipitus because they, her urine osmolality is not improving even with desmopressin. So what you've done is you've already stopped the lithium. So what the question is asking is what else can you do? Which is the next most important intervention? So the answer here is you can give her thiazide diuretics, thiazide diuretics cause a relatively mild hypovolemia and this will encourage salt and water uptake in the proximal tubule and relieve symptoms of diabetes, uh, nephrogenic diabetes insipidus. Okay. So this is the treatment of nephrogenic diabetes insipidus, you can give her thiazide diuretics. So this question is uh, knowing the adverse effect, the, uh, basically the vis- visual adverse effects of certain commonly used drugs and they can ask you such questions because uh, they are clinically in common. So what they're asking you is there's a 39 year old male with a 30 year history of type 1 diabetes and his main complaint is erectile dysfunction and you plan to start high dose sildenafil. Which of the following would you warn him about? So the answer here is you would warn him about a bluish discoloration of vision so uh phosphodiesterase inhibitors like sildenafil can cause bluish discoloration of vision okay which drugs can cause a loss of color vision so these are hydroxychloroquine and ethambutol which drug can cause a yellowing of vision so this is caused by digoxin okay moving on okay, so this next question is basically a factual question what is the mechanism of action of trazodone? Trazodone is a serotonin antagonist and a reuptake inhibitor. It is not an SSRI, it is not an SNRI, it is not a TCA, it is a SARI. That is, it is a serotonin antagonist and reuptake inhibitor. Additionally, it has alpha antagonistic properties also. Okay, so, these are some of the questions from a past paper. And I hope you all do well and best of luck.